Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are back for another episode of The Lock-In. We have a very special guest this week, a, a man who has been on our show four times. There are not many people who've been on more than that. In fact, only four people have been on more than four times. Tom Hall, Jabberkata, take a bow. Have I been on four times? Yeah, you've been on the proper show well, four times. I thought I'd been on twice. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy how... A lot of people... Well, the, the strategy segment counts on as well. Like, oh yeah, I suppose it's just like instant deletion, isn't it? For, <laughs> you know, the Feraldos of the world where uh, depends on how much trouble we got you into. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, trouble trouble is all relative, but uh, you definitely made me feel like shit one morning. I tell you that. Uh, one morning I woke up to a real pile of, you know, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> what can you do? You know, the game is the game. Well, I, I do want to start by saying that I am interested to know how your year has been going because I did have a quick look at your Hendon mob because I know people are like accumulating all these uh, no specific territory flags and obviously you've been grinding away some of those landmark events online but your last, or it wasn't your last, but your second last you did finish the, the year very well last year, 2019 the GUKPT main event you managed to final table fifth place. So you're probably looking at 2020 thinking, okay, I fancy a bit of live poker here. So uh, uh, how are you feeling about your current state? Um, yeah, I miss live poker. I miss the adrenaline. I miss waking up for like day three and feeling like anticipation. Online, you go on a five minute break. There isn't really, I don't know, I don't really feel that anticipation as much anymore. It's just, it is what it is. And uh when live poker, you, you can't really replace that feeling of going to bed, like anticipating the next day. That's a totally different world. And then the and, and then the adrenaline face to face poker. I, I definitely miss that. Uh, it's a blessing and a curse for me. I would say this year I've got to study a lot. I think I've improved a lot financially. I don't think I've been doing like incredibly well online. Doing fine, but. I think I've improved a lot and that's much more important. Mm. However, you know, how is the state of poker going to look in 12 months time? Who knows really as well? Because the, the environment's changed a little bit already since Corona. Yeah, it's a really interesting point. Dara, I want to turn to you just to talk on that sort of notion of a, of a pause. Like we've been all been given a sort of a pause in our lives to maybe reflect on what we're doing, maybe in terms of our careers we all have to play online if we're going to keep playing poker, but maybe a lot of people have decided to study more, maybe plan for the future a bit more. We actually did an interview uh, just a couple of days ago, which will actually be on a much future show. Um, I think it will go into the finale of the main show, but we spoke to Marty Mathis and he talked about sort of seizing this opportunity to do more deep study. Are you thinking along the same way? Yeah. I, I mean, I guess you, you have to occupy your time somehow. And, and what, I, what I've done essentially is what a lot of people did. I, I do all the stuff that I normally do at home. Um, and I've always had this view throughout my career, at least for the last 10 years or so, that uh, I enjoy all the stuff I do at home. And the um, traveling for life poker is kind of a necessary evil. Um, now that I'm actually forced to stay at home all the time, I realize that that's not fully true. I do actually miss live poker quite a bit. Um, uh not just the live poker, but also the, the the whole social scene around it, meeting people like Tom and and, and so on. But yeah, I've I've you know I've been doing a lot of coaching, uh, been working on the next book, and I've also done more study than I have in recent time. And similar to Tom, I feel my game has improved more in this period than 
at any time in the last few years. But I, I also feel that kind of online is, 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 is getting more difficult um, as a result. Like everybody's improving, everybody's at home, exactly. everybody is, yeah. is studying. So uh, I, definitely I feel, and even the recreationals, I mean, I coach some recreationals and they've, been, they, they've come on leaps and bounds in this period uh, because it's the first time they've ever really sort of seriously uh, studied for a sustained period. So yeah, similar to Tom, I would worry about the long-term effects and I would echo that even though I've studied a lot and I think I've improved um, on not doing financially incredibly compared to previous years. Um, it's always a matter of your relative edge over the field and I feel like everything is coming closer together. The other thing that's happened, I think, is live and online have all have almost kind of merged into one now where all the live series have been moved to online and you know they've always been very different ecosystems live is something you do essentially a, a series of shots um maybe you grind small side events as well and you play satellites to keep your variance down but you're but it but it is very very high variance and then online was just where you sort of ground out your st- your steady profit now what's happened online is it's become dominated more and more in the last few months by these big series and um uh and and the smaller daily games have actually suffered as a result well you talked there about how the game is sort of all coming closer together and i suppose the first story i want to pick up on and it is to sort of pick up on it from the last episode we had because we spoke about the rta scandal in unspecific terms at that point uh, we were aware of the, the, the allegations against uh, Fedor Cruz, but they weren't generally public and we didn't want to sort of uh, step all over that. So we, we sort of talked about it in a much more general sense. We can talk about the details of it now. And I guess, Tom, when I, when I, when I come to you on this one, I'm really interested to get your take on, and also, uh, you know, in, in to whatever degree it follows up on what Dara just said there. I am going to speak again to, to my notes here, just because whenever we talk about these types of things, I want to get my language spot on. Um, Cruz's flatmates, Manuela Nicholas, have apparently provided PokerStars and GG with photographs and screenshots. Included in this is a photograph allegedly of uh, Cruz's setup. Uh, it shows three machines clustered together. Two have active game windows open and a third is clearly using a poker solver. It is alleged Cruz used some specific hardware to circumvent the mouse tracking software designed to pick up this sort of activity. That's one of the ways in which sites are able to detect any of these shenanigans. Now, obviously, he's found a workaround, allegedly. I'm going to say allegedly, I think, here, um, just for my own safety. The flatmates are also in possession of a screenshot of a potentially damning, damaging WhatsApp remark from Cruz where perhaps he's sort of uh, acknowledged what's going on. What do you make of this, uh, Tom? I, I guess, like, we, we, I, I, I looked at Ben CB's stream a week ago and he sort of called out Bonomo for potentially using an RTA because he took 45 seconds over a, a decision where he was un, it was unusual that Bonomo had this specific hand that was a call call in an unusual spot. And then this week I was on the orbit with Berkey and Berkey said that there were rumblings that players have been using these machines for years and years. And in reality, some of the guys we think are, are, are the greatest, the guys we think are beasts, have actually just been early adapters to this type of technology. And I suppose that's just really scary. Uh, I want to go backwards for a sec and talk about the studying. Um, it's, it's like everyone's busy all the time. And when we do study, it's like 90 minutes, two hours. And we're looking at hands in isolation. We're learning from our mistakes. But the real studying work comes in when you do 
hundreds and hundreds of sims and then you start looking for the trends and how to adjust to certain things. And I think a lot of people are getting a lot better in this time because they've actually been given this free time for the first time, or they've been pushed to the point of so much grinding that they want to step away from actually playing and just actually, they've, they've, they've set a week aside for themselves to actually go really hard at solver. And so I think that's why people are getting better really fast because they've actually been given this free time. Now, the, the whole RTA situation, like, Firstly, uh, Fedor's got three. Fedor's got three computers in the in the photos, right? So, do we know if he's using actual RTA? Who knows? Is he? Is there a software that's controlling his mouse and clicking on the fold button? I don't think that's the case. I think it's a separate computer that he 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 inputs into whatever the solver or whatever software he's using that the actions in the hand that are going on and then is finding results according to this. He doesn't need to refer to this every time. He's probably got many, many charts for a lot of the pre-flop stuff, but I doubt it's, it's a, I doubt it's a pure RTA in the terms, because a pure RTA is effectively a bot, right? That's, that's what it is. And uh, an, an RTA is, a, it's a tool that tells you what to click it turns you into a bot, effectively. Now, was Fedor acting completely as a bot? No, not really, because he was still doing a lot of non-GTO stuff. So it means he was referring to the tool for a lot of tougher decisions, which is obviously still not allowed. But the lines get very blurry, I feel. And it's, un it's, it's hard for us to know exactly how far was he crossing the line. Crossing the line at all is obviously, you know, you've got that red mark on you forever. But did he go fully into the into the actual RTA? I, I don't know. I feel like the situation is he had a very good library first. From from the from the messages I read, someone was building him a library. Someone was running many 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 sims for him for a price. Who knows? Whatever. Maybe they're doing it as a group. Maybe it started off as them running a lot of uh, high frequency data sims. That's, that's badly phrased. Uh, maybe it started off as a plan for them to run a lot of sims over a short period of time and try and extract the data and then ended up in many, many spreadsheets with charts of how to play loads of spots for a hundred big blinds exactly. And then when it comes to a complicated river spot, he might input into his solver or whatever he's using, you know, here are the actions for this hundred big blind pot. What should I do on the river? So I, I don't know exactly what's going on in that regard. According to the messages, you know, he, he used, literally used the words dream machine. And that's where it gets really bad for him in my mind, because he's very clearly said He's using something to assist yeah. his decisions, not just a chart, some sort of assistance. Dream Machine doesn't doesn't sorry doesn't say like a, a, doesn't suggest a, a library of data. It suggests a program that is assisting you. So that's pretty uh, pretty clear evidence, I would say. For a lot. 
Yeah, turning to you, Darren, like your description of a dream machine when we spoke about it out of context last time around was pretty much this. You know, I, I think Tom has sort of uh, elaborated on, on on maybe the details of, of how you would use it and what types of spots. But you pretty much set out the parameters, as Tom has there as well, where uh, I suppose you end up with a push a button bot type of situation, which which is where obviously a very clear line is crossed. Tom is sort of revealing some ambiguity there, some sort of, mm, well, you know, obviously if we're all using our charts, that's fine. Like people are using their charts. They've worked out their charts from inference maybe if they go back all the way to yourself there. That was like one of the ways in which you studied um, a long time ago. This is a much more sophisticated version of that. But I suppose the question then becomes at what point on that learning curve or on what point on that uh, developmental curve is it now just suddenly cheating or does it happen like that? Yeah, I mean, as, as Tom said, it, it, it is a spectrum and it's, it's very hard to know where the line is. And a lot of the recreations that I've spoke to her, who are sort of up in arms about this, saying this is cheating and this is, a, this is disgraceful. I know for a fact they, they use charts and they use Snapshot when they're playing. Now, technically, if you talk to the sites, that is real-time assistance, so, that, so they are cheating as well. I mean, the hard line is you're literally not supposed to have anything. You're not even supposed to have a chart. When you're faced with a decision, you, you, you use your own brain. You, all the work you've done away from the table is supposed to be stored in there, and you can't refer back to anything to see what, in inverted commas, the correct answer is. But, I mean, that's impossible to enforce. And, I mean, I would say the number of players who don't use some sort of chart or something is fairly small. Now, the next stage up is, as Tom said, you can have run lots and lots of Sims. And we're all in that spot now. The computer behind me, which you can't see, is basically the computer that I have running Sims. And that, that, that runs Sims more or less 24-7. Now, that's behind me. I, I could technically refer to it uh, in, in the middle of the game, but I'm not well organized enough to have uh, anything like that. So I, I basically use that as a study just to look at uh, all the spots I want to look at. And then when I'm playing, I'm playing so many tables, I don't have time to be messing around on other machines. With, with Cruz, the... The assertion is, at the very least, he had sort of a major bank of sims, um, which would dwarf my, my my tiny little database, so that he could he could look at a lot of uh, very very tricky high equity spots. But there's also the, the suggestion that that the, you know you can you can hook computers up together. Uh, you can that one computer can detect what's happening on the other computer, and if if it's full-on real-time assistance, then you don't have to input anything. It'll just work. It'll it'll scrape the screen for the for all the relevant information, the whole cards, the um, the the stack sizes, etc. So we, we there's still a lot we don't really know about the Federal Cruise situation. Uh, we're just basically going on what his um, his housemates have said so far. Um, it's clear he he crossed the line to some degree, um, and that's problematic. But then on the other hand, I mean. This is the tip of the iceberg, really. Uh, yeah. uh, we, we we spoke briefly with Tom before we came on, and, and, and Tom made the point that like we've all known that this stuff has been going on for years. Uh, the, ter the term dream machine has been around for years. Uh, I think it was originally used jokingly by Joy Ingram five or six years ago. And uh, so, you know, we're not shocked by it, but... Um, I think a lot of a, a lot of people who maybe came into the game later are are a bit shocked. A, a, a lot of people also don't sort of understand the solvers really that well, so they don't they're, they're not really aware of what's possible with the solvers. And, and I mean, the solver is just giving you a GTO response uh, in in any situation based on the assumptions that you put into it. Um, but at a certain point, that could give you a significant edge over the field. Uh, 
but you know, I mean, the Pandora's box is open on that. You can't you can't ban all the solvers now. People are are, are going to use them. So so there's going there, there's always going to be this gray area between using a solver to learn and improve yourself, and the the next stage up is referring to some sort of database or bank of stuff that you've run yourself. And then the the the, the final phase is just somebody else has done all this stuff for you, and, and, and a piece of software is retrieving the relevant information. Yeah, I certainly don't envy the security teams these days. I, I'm guessing that in the game of cat and mouse, the um, the mouse is certainly uh, running away right now, and it uh, is going to be hard to catch. Yeah, I mean the the, the methods that they've used are are, are are as clever as they could possibly be. That you know, even stuff like mouse tracking is really clever because uh, um, that's you 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 know what a human typically looks like when they're moving when they when they're mm. using their mouse. Uh, that's I played um, the the first game I ever played for money online was was actually backgammon and backgammon was killed killed by the bots in the end and you didn't have to be a genius to work out who the bots were because they moved instantaneously uh, in in every situation and 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 it ha it happened very quickly it went from uh, you didn't see them at all to suddenly half the accounts you were playing against were were clearly bots. Um, and and I mean that killed backgammon. Nobody pays backgammon for, for for money online anymore. Um, and the sites are going to have to get ahead of this. Um, otherwise, the same thing will happen. Poker now. Poker is not quite as, as susceptible as backgammon because backgammon is a pure strategy game, where the strategy is always the same in in in, in any given spot. Poker, you have the different formats. Um, as we mentioned on the last show, tournaments are because of the ICM aspect are somewhat. Um, immune from the, the the worst excesses of RTA PKOs bring it even further because now you have the additional um, equity element of the bounty to consider, which presumably the real time assistant tools uh, don't do as yet. But you know who, who knows down the line that they, they might get very good at approximating that too. Yeah, great point. Well, from one scandal to another, uh, this is the scandal that just keeps on giving, actually. Uh, I did think at some point we probably finally put Postle to bed, but no, he's, he's, he's raised his head again. And this week, um, we have an interesting one. So I mentioned Berkey earlier on. Well, Berkey and Phil Galfond have taken up the challenge to analyse all of Mike Postle's televised sessions at Stones Casino. I believe... Justin Curitis will rue the day he went on to Twitter and sort of like lauded over the people who had lost the the trial, the, how that meant that that was case closed and he was innocent and, and sort of uh, taunted the victims even, I would say. Uh, it has spurred Galfon, Berkey, our pal KL Cleeton and others into action. And I think they're going to group think, get all the hands done and they're going to look for very specific types of information, Darren. This is where I'm, I'm interested to come to you on because Phil gave a list of all the types of stats he will look to find. I suppose the ones that he feel will be most revealing of jiggery pokery in this spot. Uh, he's going to look at River Bluff success rates. He's going to look at River Bluff um success rates when you're catching. calling as Love well catching, as yeah. the bets exactly uh he's gonna look at pre-flop four bet frequencies when there's no ace or kings about he's gonna look at uh pre-flop five bet frequencies when there's no aces and kings about and there's a whole list of these things which include then once we get to the the river fold to river with the best hand fold to river um bet without the best hand fold to river raise with the best hand etc etc these are going to provide really interesting data points i think in all of this 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree that, uh, and I'm pretty sure with the evidence when they come out will, will, will be damning, but I, I still kind of don't see the point because it's not going to convert, con, con, convince a court of law. I mean, the, the, the data point which makes it most obvious that he's cheating was just his sheer win rate, which was just absolutely impossible. Um, and then there were individual hands where, you know, he made, he, he, he made plays you couldn't justify on any other basis other than he knew exactly what cards his opponent had. That's already out there. I don't see how doing some sort of mass data analysis, uh, which will, will show he cheats on all these stats too, is going to particularly help. Um, I mean, I mean, everybody who understands data knows he cheated. Uh, they, don't, they, don't, they don't need this additional round. Um, it, it feels like we're flogging a dead horse at this stage. And I mean, is, is Galvin going to go into court and talk about river bluff frequencies and the court's going to go, all oh, right, yeah, now we're convinced. We, b- before when he was winning at an unsustainable rate, we didn't, but, but uh, now you've convinced us. No, that's not going to happen. I mean, he's, he has gotten away with it, so uh, what can we do? Well, I suppose what you said there about the court of public opinion maybe being the other aspect to this and, and, and you know, from our point of view, he's already lost that battle. Uh, anyone who can interpret data or even watch a handful of Joey's videos would have pretty much seen what they needed to see. However, Tom, things do play out in public. And I suppose uh, one of the threats thrown out there by Curitis and then this follow-up by the documentary filmmaker is that they're going to make this um, amazing film about this poor man who was wronged. And it was so awful how he was vilified by a community of awful people, us poker players, who decided that we just didn't like him, I guess, and we didn't like how much money he was inexplicably winning on these streams. So uh, we decided to take him to court or, well, so individuals did. Um, and and I, I suppose I felt like watching this was that Phil and Berkey and these lads were taking up sort of the mantle of, I guess, Veronica and co when they sort of said, well, do you know what? If you bring out some bullshit documentary, that's going to be, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do, to be honest. We're going to be armed with the counter story in a very clean way. What do you think? I hope you don't mind. I'm going to backtrack again because I've got that's okay. to say about the charts. None of us are condoning charts, right? <laughs> you know, the, amb- the ambiguity comes from the site, the sites themselves. Some sites say they're allowing charts over uh, up to X amount of data, right? So the whole ambiguity comes from that. Now, a solver is effectively a collection of charts. If you took photos of every single result from a solver, you could have a faster result than a solver technically, right? So where where is the line between between allowing to use charts and uh, effectively using a solver, we don't really know. It's probably at the like three or four charts sort of, I don't, I don't even, it's hard to say, right? When, we, when online poker came about, we're trying to model it as close to live poker as we can. That's the ideal here, right? We all love live poker. We're trying to play poker online in the most legitimate form possible. Now that would be to just say, okay, there is no tools allowed, no, no, uh, no trackers, no shark scope, no uh, holder manager, no, uh, no charts, right? Not none of that stuff while you're in the game. Now, can we police that? We can't police that. So it's just on the it's on the sites to give you a, a group of rules that, like, allows there to be no form of gray area at all. That's where a lot of this problem comes in because they're, they're, they're telling us, okay, you can use this much information, but any more than that, 
will stop you. And then people think, well, what's to stop me just having this other computer next to my computer? And then it all just expands from there. I mean, I think that's enough about that. Um, <laughs> I mean, possible. I mean, like you said, I mean, what, what, we're flogging a dead horse. We all know he's cheating. We, we all know he's cheating. It's obvious. Now, you said if Galfon was in court, it would be pointless for him to make a point to try and explain river betting frequencies and shit. That is correct. But scientists go into court all the time and explain stuff that isn't necessarily very obvious to the human mind straight away. You know, like stuff on a DNA level or on a whatever, on a crime scene level that to the, to the natural observer, to the people in the jury, they, they can get a good idea of what's going on. Now, if Phil Galfon was in the court, maybe he could give the jury a better idea of why this guy was cheating. But then it's then, are those people gonna really, a lot of people can't even understand EV full stop. You know, they, they, in their day-to-day -day life, they can't understand expected value because it's just something that doesn't come up. They just, you go about your life, good things happen, bad things happen. You don't think about on a week-to-week -week basis, how good is it gonna, you know, EV isn't, isn't a thing. So is this a case we're ever gonna win? Probably not. But could, could Phil Galfon put a good point across in court? I think so. I think he could he could uh, he could do a good job of it, but we're talking about the poker world versus reality, kind of, and there's a lot of stuff that people don't really want to talk about because we just want to get on with it as well, don't we? We want to we want to enjoy the game that we all love. We don't want the ship to just sink because of a few bad eggs. Lovely lovely metaphor there. Yeah, I think it's also true that at some level, the, the weakness of law has been revealed hugely in this. And this is something that happens a lot when, as you say, the poker world and the, the reality uh, try to come together on something. Uh, Puzzle hasn't been told he's innocent. Puzzle's been told that there's no proper legal framework to judge his case on. That's essentially how he's managed to get out of this. Scott Free. So, yeah, so so it's so it isn't really that he's been declared innocent as curators wanted to just you know stand out on the court steps and wave his hands. It, it's actually that you know the, the law has failed in this situation, and and it brings me to the sort of notion of self policing, which is something we do all the time in poker. We're constantly self we're self policing right now by making a podcast talking about this for ten minutes that hopefully lots of people watch and then that helps form their opinion and concretize what they probably already know anyway, but also maybe helps a little bit that way. Dara? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the only thing we can do. There's a, one big problem here is, is the fundamental difference between the way poker players uh, view the world and normal people do. We're, we're, we're very comfortable with a probabilistic view of the world where we understand that everything is a matter of probability and some probabilities are just so long that they're indistinguishable from fact. But that's not the way the average person works. The average person, when they want proof, they, they literally want somebody to come forward and say he was cheating uh, and here's a, here's a photograph I took to prove it. Now, that's all much more falsifiable and much more less reliable. And poker players understand that. I mean, 
even in courts where you know they use stuff like DNA, juries always find uh, eyewitness reports much more compelling, and uh, and they and they'll go with that. The the problem with any any sort of data. Um, evidence is that you're always saying okay so the chances of this happening naturally are one in a hundred million and as soon as the average person hears that they go oh so there's a chance it actually happened naturally they don't <laughs> go like the okay so this is consistent with, with with somebody who's actually cheating um so so i mean you're right in you're you're technically right in that the way the court uh, case was drawn out was well first of all there was a there was a question of jurisdiction i think um and then secondly the, the, the there's a whole gray area over enforceability of gambling debts and so on um so the whole thing was a non-runner from the start even if they could have proved he was cheating but they never even got to that point but i think had it gone to that point they still would have had difficulty because they would have had to use all of these these uh analysis and say okay it's a it's a hundred million to one or it's a it's a billion to one or whatever and 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 a judge would still go yeah but that means there's a one in a billion chance he's innocent um so uh, yeah. given that then the onus falls on poker players to self-police. I don't know. I haven't been following the story close enough to know if Possible is banned from playing live anywhere. Um, I suspect he could show up at a lot of places and still play. Now, the fact that he hasn't, um, despite having this insane win rate, which he claims was completely clean, uh, is, pr- is pretty damning in itself. But, uh, <laughs> um, I mean, I guess... If he, if he was cheating and the only reason he was winning was was he was cheating, then it doesn't really matter uh, whether he's banned or not because he's not going to be able to show up and do the same thing again, presumably. But nevertheless, as a, as a as a message, there should be some sort of punishment. Um, now, there has been punishment in the sense of ostracization, and, and we're all still talking about it. Um, and uh, we're, we're, we're all not going to watch this forthcoming documentary with an open mind. <laughs> we, know, we, we know this is bullshit. <laughs> we can smell it from here. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, the poker community does help police in that sense, and, it, and it's very much an industry of reputation. There was someone, someone mentioned, I can't remember where, but there was some sort of mention or talk of uh, some sort of poker um, union. This is what we lack, some sort of um, body of people that is completely unbiased. The problem is that most of the people who are figureheads in our industry are tied in with some sort of company. And that creates, to me, that's creating a lot of problems, like right now on Twitter, all the back and forths, everyone is tied in with some sort of company. So it's very hard to get an unbiased opinion about these things. And then it becomes like, well, how, how do we know that they're not just trying to not sabotage another website, but throw shade on another website for their own benefit? And I'm not pointing any fingers at all. I'm just saying that Twitter is a storm for that sort of stuff in any industry. And I, in our I industry, feel very seen no... here, Tom. I'm going to say I feel very seen right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you know, I never really, I never really air it out on Twitter anymore because I don't really want to. I, I want to keep living my life and I want to keep playing poker. So, yeah. you know, it's uh, it's 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 awkward, isn't it? But we, it, it's it's awkward in these situations when there's nobody to turn to. We, we, we get to the end of this possible situation. Where are we at? Well, there's no solution. The guy can walk into any casino, play in any game he wants. We can't really do anything as a community about it. 
like that's i mean that's one of the beauties of poker as well though total freedom total anyone with money can walk in and play so yeah, it's just it's too many gray areas hmm. yeah i think there's Sorry, I think there's also the brazenness of the of the documentary. I mean, there's a law in in America which prevents people from profiting from a crime, so you can't write a a, a, a book about a crime you committed yourself and have it become a bestseller and make lots of money. But unfortunately, yeah, he hasn't been found guilty of any crime, so he he is actually going to quite blazon, brazenly profit. I don't think this is an attempt to rehabilitate his image in any way. I think this is just the final money grab. Yeah. I, I don't think he's coming back, but, um, I, you know, when, when there's any form of hacking in any form of industry, in any form of competitive industry, you know, mainly leaning in towards video games here, they, the way they test it is to get them to play in front of them. They, they, they watch them play live in front of them to see, does this guy check out or is this guy just, you know, clearly full of shit. And if we, if we set, uh, if we set Postle at a computer and go on to play four tables, how fast would like his game style not line up with live? You know, I think in the first like 500 hands, we'd be like, okay, this guy's a joker. Like, this guy's got no idea what's going on. Like, and then, and even then, would we win the case in court? Probably not, but still we, we can, there are ways to get evidence. It's just, it's just gray again. I keep saying it. Yeah, his punishment should be he should be just forced to play the best players in the world at the table until all his money is gone. <laughs> <laughs> and then they redistribute it to the uh, victims, of course. Um, I'm going to go from the downright despicable to the sublime. We have a great story this week. Probably one of the best stories we're going to have this year. Charlie Godwin, the dream spin-up. She jumped into a 109 and managed to move up all the way through the satellite tiers, eventually finding her way into the 100k buy-in super high roller WPT which he then and this is was incredible survived an all-in on the direct bubble which would have been tragic with the ace king so she got it in good but she still had to spike that ace on the river to stay alive and then went on to come third in the tournament and pick up 620k an extraordinary result Mike Adamo went on to beat Ike Haxton heads up but her story was certainly the talk of the town what did you make of us tom and i suppose more generally as well how great is a story like this for poker well i know charlie a little bit from the tables super polite don't don't really you know acquaintances i would say super happy for her i mean anyone in the uk community who isn't really a high stakes player who gets a chance like that in the first place to play the tournament already is obviously enormous and then to to go on and cash, the, the thing is about that whole experience, obviously she's a lot better off financially, but poker, in terms of poker, her, her game is going to level up loads as well after this because she'll be way tougher. She'll be, it, it, the, the more, the higher you play, the more high pressure situations you're in, the better you feel in the next time you're in a similar situation, right? So next time she's deep in a 5K, it's going to be a breeze to her compared to, other tournament to, compared to the hundred k she was in, and that 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 tough experience is going to be really good for her long term, and just in general, it's what we all want to see. That's that's why poker got to where it is because of dreamers, you know, chucking in a chucking in the lottery ticket and, and hoping for the the one time, right? 
I think a lot of advertising is missing that now in poker. We don't really see that. We don't really see the dream advertised. We just see, I don't know, I don't really see many poker advertisements. Absolutely. Well, Dara, what, what, what did you make of it? Obviously, extraordinary scenes. Yeah, it's a wonderful story. And it's exactly the type of thing people like to hear. I mean, I know, similar to Tom, I know Charlie uh, on a sort of acquaintance level for years, going back to when she worked for Party Poker, um, whenever that was, three or four years ago. And uh, she's she's been a constant fixture, both online and and, and live at events. Um I mean, I think a lot of people maybe have the wrong impression of this story of this, like, like this is like a lucky girl who got her one time, etc. But Charlie's actually been grinding online for, for for several years, so I think for for, for online grinders as well, it, it it is an inspirational story of of, of what can happen. Um, I referred at the start to the, to the way sort of live poker has has invaded in the online arena, and this is essentially what's happening now. You're getting people, you're getting all these big festivals are dominating everything, and. It's great to see a story like Charlie, somebody who spun, spun $100 up to um, 620 grand. But, you know, that's a real long shot. And for every Charlie, how many people are there that uh, that sunk a significant <laughs> chunk of their role trying to get into the tournament, maybe never even got into the tournament, or if they did, didn't cash. So there is there, there, there is a flip side to it as well, which is that it's, it's increased all of our variances um, and it's made it much more difficult to sort of navigate a steady living uh, the, the, the way the three of us in particular have sort of uh, approached our career from the start. Um, but in terms of selling the dream, this is, this is, this is a great story. And uh, on, on an aside, it's, it's really good to see the sort of resurgence of satellites uh, in the last few years, because satellites are crucial to recreate to the recreational dream. They're not going to play a hundred K apart from the very richest businessmen. They're not even going. To, they're possibly not even going to pay a one K satellite to hundred K. But they'll. They, they might take one or two shots at a hundred dollars and try and get it in that way. And to see what's possible when that happens, um, that that sort of re- reaffirms the whole dream. That 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 is the original poker dream. Uh, doing this sort of spin up, um, and it's, it's it's good to see that it can still happen too. It sure is. Well, look, you did a beautiful segue for me there, Dara. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. Uh, one thing that does unite the three of us, as you said, is our sort of steadiness. Uh, we've been both been in the game, I, I think maybe 13 years, Dara. I'm going to guess, Tom, you might be only be a year behind us, but it's something similar. And I, I th- the one thing people used to say to us years ago as well was our graphs are very, you know, the classic bottom left to top right. They just look really nice. There's a lot of steady increase and tom you're famous for that one darren and i have similarly shaped graphs although i will admit that mine if put next to yours would be the same shape but much much smaller um but i i do want to say that there is something worth talking to you specifically about i think one on this one tom because your approach to the game similar to darren and i has been to ignore to some degree that sort of get rich quick mentality that does attract some people to poker and to instead view it as a living view it as something to build wealth gradually and accumulate incrementally and build year on year on year and you know it's it's done us all well we're all still here 13 years later which is great but I I just wanted to get your take on that Tom and your sort of overall poker journey and how smooth it's been times have have changed (laughs) not anymore these are the graphs from three years ago (laughs) well I'm I'm leaning into the sitting goes when we 12 years ago we got to play hundreds of sitting goes a day if we wanted to 
we, we literally could build a steady income in a much more, it seemed much more feasible back then to, to, to make X amount per day. Now it's all MTTs, all MTTs, everything is MTTs. And yeah, cash games still exist, but there aren't that many people getting into poker to, to grind cash games for a living. So back, back in uh, 2008, 2009, whatever, uh, Twelve dollar one eighty mans were not enormous, but they there was maybe like forty to fifty a day. Twelve dollar one eighty mans, and if you were making three dollars a game, which is on the lower side, I would say still good. But uh, if you made three dollars a game over fifty dollars fifty games a day, one fifty a day every day, and the the variance was actually kind of reasonably low on a week to week basis you actually had a wage. It wasn't, it wasn't an MTT, you know, swingy up and down. Is this going to be a good month? Is this going to be a bad month? You had a good idea of how much you made that month because you played X amount of games. And I think you two were the same. You find what you, you find what you can beat, you work out how much you beat it for, and then you play as much as you physically can without destroying your health to build your bankroll. You want to keep going until you get to a point where the swings aren't going to affect you at all. That's that's that was my day one mindset, just to keep grinding these 180s till I had enough money that the swings of these 180s and possibly some MTTs aren't aren't going to affect me. And then from there, you know, the world's your oyster. Once you once you've got that bankroll that is 100% stable for the stakes you're going to play, then you can start doing playing what you feel like and over time we've had to adapt all of us we've had to change our focus and where which site do we make money on which games do we make money on which time zone do we play which type of tournaments do we play how, how long do we play or which day of the week there's so many different factors that we've had to change to over time but mostly just like i said picking picking what you know you can be and just going in, we we were we had a lot better access to that back in the day because we we could play that every day. And now it's like, well, if you want to, if you've got a if you've got a good schedule of daily MTTs you want to play, well, your Monday might look nothing like your Saturday. Your your Monday might only make you half the money that you make on a Saturday, for example. So it's not like you have that access every day like you used to. It's, it, it's changed, but it's, it's all about that steadiness and just not losing control, right? I mean, when have, have any one of us played a tournament for more than 10% of our bankroll ever? Ah, not even five. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's just, it's just I, I, ridiculous. What you were saying there about the $11.180 mans, I, I had an almost identical experience with the $26.45 mans. And I remember after a reasonable sample size, being able to shark scope what my ROI is, how much I could expect per game, how many would run each given day. I worked all that stuff out very similarly and then sort of thought, okay, this is, this is safe. This is a wage. And it exactly. was so safe, in fact, that because I didn't do much outside of that, I sprinkled in a few MTTs on a Sunday and different things. But because I basically decided that's what I was grinding, I knew I would pretty much have a uh, sort of variance-free existence. And that translated to 60 of my first 61 months playing poker were profitable. 
I did. I had one unprofitable month in five years, which was extraordinary. And that pretty much is when I met Dara. I, I met Dara around that time and discovered a kindred spirit and somebody who similarly, maybe um, maybe not the 45 man's quite as much, although I know you played them too, Dara, but very much sit and goes, heads up, sit and goes. And of course, satellites, which became your speciality. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't quite as scientific as, as as you do guys in terms of breaking down um, my exact edge, but I but I did move around, and I and I guess I was always naturally drawn to lower variant stuff. So I started um, after a brief period of limit cash. I started in the sit and goes and did them for a while. Then moved into uh, heads up sit and goes for a while, um, and then moved into tournaments. But the, the move into tournaments was sort of the golden era of, of satellites where it was possible to absolutely smash them up by, a, by, by such a large margin that you couldn't really have a, downs, a, a downswing. It was pretty much impossible to have a, a major downswing of any kind. Now, <clears throat> the last few years have sort of increased the variance on, on every level. Like there's a number of things which factor into variance. One is your edge, obviously. And when your edge is massive, you just, I mean, you'll have variance in the, in the sense of some, you'll have very good months and good months, um, but you won't have actual downswings. And that's kind of the way, that's where we were at the start of the last decade uh, with the satellites. Um, so edge is one thing. And another thing is field size. And on both of those fronts, uh, the, the, the tide has moved against us. The fields are getting bigger in the, in the, in the tournaments where we have the biggest edge now. Um, there's, very, there's very little small field stuff around where you have a significant enough edge or you can play enough of them that you can sort of grind out a living. So you are sort of forced to, into the higher variance of the bigger fields. And then our edge has all slipped for, for a number of reasons. Uh, recreations have gotten better. The, 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 the weaker ones get weeded out pretty quick. And, um, and then the structures, the structures are a lot different now. Uh, there are much more turbo structures around um, which which also reduces our edge. So because of that, we have we we have sort of been uh, forced to embrace variance, and I'm sure all of our graphs uh, have ha- have reflected that. I haven't really looked at my graph. Another thing which has happened, and I've I've been resistant to this, but more and more of the action has moved away from the big sites, yeah. um, and on, on and you are forced onto like small sites that operate on Bitcoin or. Uh, are sites that operate in, in, in the sort of unregulated area. And that's introducing another element of risk, which is that obviously that our, we could wake up one day and the site could be gone. But um, unfortunately, a lot of the recreational money has moved towards that. Also the smaller fields, which is again, something we all hark, look back on nostalgically when we grind our 45 months or our 180 months. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm now realizing that I do have to sort of look at the, at all these other sites now and sort of reorient my schedule. Um, I haven't gone as far as going onto the apps yet, um, but who knows down the line, maybe we, maybe in five years time, we'll all, we'll all just be playing on apps. <laughs> Well, I doubt it with MTTs. They <laughs> maybe maybe more cash games, but I, I don't think MTTs are going to go onto the apps anytime soon. I know there's like Poker Bros or whatever, but I don't think that's going to be. I mean, the the, the things with MTTs, we're trying to get a big fish pool into a medium-sized buy-in to create a giant prize pool, right? And yeah. the apps is just not. We're not going to be able to create a big enough uh, pool. What one thing you said about um, just just our edge going down. Uh, people forget that like ICM is a big edge. We a lot of our profit comes from applying ICM in late game situations. 
and one of the reasons we were able to make such steady profit back in the days as well from satellites and from sitting goes was because we got to play ICM so much more often. Nowadays, it's very, very little ICM in MTTs. There's bubble play and then there's 18 left sort of thing. Yeah. And that doesn't even come about every day. Whereas in 2014, that was every, every single day we were applying our ICM edge. Yeah. 20, 30, 40 times a day. And not only did we get to apply it, we got to study it a lot more than other people with, you know, sit and go wizard, whatever were the tools back in the day. So stuff that was like less accessible to people still out there, but needed more learning back then. So we were getting better faster than everyone else, as well as being able to play ICM situations more often. So the, our graphs being smoother, straighter, you know, better looking is all, it's, all of that is a big part of it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree completely. It's a, it's a very good point. We, we, we probably owe most of our careers and our profitability to just ICM, <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, I mean, which is sad. I mean, uh, there, yeah, there's, there, 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 I'm sure we'd all admit there are large areas of our game where like, we're not re- we, don't, we, do, we don't really know what to do, but they don't come up very often. I, ICM back in the day, particularly, like you were hitting three or four final tables every day and uh, being playing, playing the final table better than everybody else, that made such a massive difference. Uh, if, if, the, if the three of us were sat in the Vic at a 1025 cash game, pounds, not pence, pounds. <laughs> Do you think do you think people would be rolling in, or do you think people would be you know, yeah. scared to play? You know, they'd be like, rolling in because yeah. we're we're not deep stack. Yeah, exactly. No. We're not we're self-professed. We're not good two hundred big blind players. We're no. experts at the small razor ICM five big blind final table sort of stuff. You know, we're making guaranteed profit in all those situations. We're not looking for these murky waters of hundred big blind decisions where it's sixty forty. You know, 60, 40, 75% part and 40% part. Yeah. We want to know, yeah. like, I'm all in on these three guys. Fuck them. <laughs> they can't do nothing. You know, like, that's that's me making a 0.7% edge right there. Well, yeah. Darren and I used to joke about how we were probably, and I, I'm sure we'd have put you in this group as well, we were probably among the best, if not the best, sub three big blind players <laughs> in the world. <laughs> it's, it's funny you say that because, like, the more ICMizer spots I run under five bigs, the, the worse I feel my game is. I, I, and I think like population is absolutely terrible yeah. under five big lines. Yeah. Myself, like, I'm really, I think my like two and a half big and under game really needs work. I know that sounds ridiculous, <laughs> no, but like, you, you need to get it in so often with these stacks and I'm just folding too much still. And I keep plugging them in and I'm still folding too much. And it's that weird human disconnect of uh, my hand's not good enough rather than pot size versus equity. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard to think. Yeah. I remember David used to inter- jokingly introduce us as the best three big blind players in the world. <laughs> it also reminds me the first time I went to Vegas, my brother was actually with me and I've been playing about a, just over a year at this stage. Um, and one of the things which my brother remarked on was that like some of the best players would come up and they'd ask me about spots like Channing ran a spot by me and 
a lot, a lot of the top guys did. But but so he was saying like it's it's incredible you've only been playing a year and people are already asking about hands. And I said, yeah, but like listen to the hand every time. There's never more than twenty big blinds involved. <laughs> yeah. Because back then, you know, the typical live player didn't really know what to do with twenty big blinds, and it was it was guys like us who played online, uh, who played all the sit and goes. We kind of had our ranges down, um, and 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 that was a huge part of our edge. And people would come to us for a spot where like, okay, so I have ace queen under the gun. Now what do I do? I think the three of us we we need we need clear answers. When when we study, we like studying stuff where we get answers that are very clear. You know, like like back in the day, we could like I used to love sitting go wizard because I just get get the answers and mm. go from there. And now if with ICMizer, you can you can get so good under like twenty big blinds. Doesn't mean you're going to know your opening ranges necessarily. But you can learn so much with ICMizer if you just sat down for a week and just drilled through spots, drilled through the sit and go coach quiz. There's there's so there's so much learning data, and in that scenario you're talking about people came to you. There was no tool to tell them to plug it in to say, you know. And now that's just that's just day to day. Yeah. Put it in HRC. You know, that's, yeah, that's like if you don't know that then. Just look in the mirror, mate. Because like, it's a lot of it is just ego war. Still, you know, it's it's like, well, I want to be a tough player. I want to be hard to play against. I want to be sick, and I want to be aggro, and I want to punish people. I want to make money. <laughs> uh, that's what I want to do. I just want to make money. I don't. I don't care. Like, I, I want to make the best decision I can make. And to be honest, only in the past like two years have I really started studying. Studying. And you know, it's times have changed, haven't they? It's, uh, it's all. It, it, it all used to just be like, ah, it's all right. You can do that as long as you, as long as you only really pull off the jack two off four bet once at a blue moon. You know, it's it's okay. These live, these weird live replays people used to make all the time, and now a lot of stuff is just totally out of bounds, unacceptable. You know. I just want to go back to exploiting people constantly, not really worry about overall strategy. You, you live a much freer life, don't you? Much more stress-free. Yeah. He says sitting on his expensive brown leather couch. Um, oh, <laughs> this, was, this was like $8 at a time, mate. You know, like, uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't like, uh, you know, here's, here's your lump sum, Jabra, well done. Like, uh, oh, I do recall uh, a few lump sums in there, but let's move yeah, on. No, I've had a few, I've had a few lump sums, but you know, you know what I mean. You, we, we, we break it down. All, all three of us, we, we grinded, we grinded to get here. And I was thinking about this pre-podcast. Like, if you ask me the question of like uh, about bankroll management, when I, when I started, I said to myself, I'm gonna make it. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna slack. I'm gonna find a way to make x x amount of dollars, and I'm gonna do it. I know poker, there is a way for me to do that. I've just got to work hard. And the, that's, still, that's still a thing. You've just got to find something you could beat and then keep playing it. Simple as that. Not, not like reach to try and, I don't know, reach for excitement, you know? Like, I think all three of us, we, we found something we liked. We saw an opportunity and we forced it. We didn't, there wasn't like a, there wasn't a question about mm. it. You just you just keep going until you're there. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, not not that any of our careers have lacked high points from time to time. You, you, both of you guys have certainly had loads of high points. But I suppose as an overall approach, there was a sacrifice of glamour or, 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 or yeah. of, uh, of, of the highlight for, for basically reducing your risk of ruin to almost zero. Yeah, um, that wasn't, I never really chased the glamour either. I was more of a like, oh, if I don't, if I don't do this, I'm going to, it's, it's all going to go to shit. Like, if I don't make myself an insurance plan effectively for my whole life, then I'm just going to fall to pieces if I don't come up with something because I'm not fit for human society, workplace, whatever, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. I had to make it work, you know? Um, Great stuff. Well, listen, we were talking about edge and we we're talking about variants there. And I suppose I want to finish with one subject, which has sort of become a bit more topical in the last uh, few months again, um, is that of overlay. We had the summer of overlay. There was Boker stars were overlaying on all their big field, big buy-in stuff. So a lot of uh, overlay gifts going to some of the high stakes guys there. I know GG are sweating, hitting their guarantee that's coming up this week. So they're probably looking at some overlay potential there. Um, Party Poker, I know, overlaid quite a bit on the WPT series, but probably a lot of that went into the satellites. So satellite grinders managed to scoop up a bit of value there, which was nice to see. Unibet have actually swallowed quite a bit of overlay already in the first week of their UOS. And what I like about that is that that overlay is going to people all the way from the micros to mid stakes. We don't really have a high stakes tier. So you know, there's a lot of, you know, grinders, there's a lot of recreational players getting a little bit back, which I don't think is a bad thing at all. However, and this has become, I, I'm going to get myself in trouble here with the boss, but in Unibet, there is this tendency with our guys to not really like the idea of advertising ourselves off the back of overlay. Um, and, and, and me just even presenting this segment now is all, almost risking their wrath, which is that, like, in my mind, overlay is brilliant because... You set an ambitious guarantee. If you hit it, fantastic. If you miss it, you mark it off the back of that cleavage and you make it a positive for your customer. And I kind of see that as win-win in a, in a lot of ways. Obviously not if you were to get absolutely killed, but you know, small overlays here and there are a good thing. Am I wrong? Are you wrong? In, I mean, I think it's fine for sites to advertise and what the tournament started, they're giving the players an opportunity for free money. If they want to put a load of free tickets on Twitter, that's that's up to them. However, they've got to stick to the guarantee. That's it. That's the only that's the only restriction here. They put out a guarantee, they've got to stick to it. And they could do to me, that's I think you're right. You they should they should play on that. Not not like, oh, this might overlay. But tweet about it when it's overlaying. You know, there's nothing. There's nothing wrong with that. You're you're advertising your site. You're perfectly within the realm of doing. That's that's. I don't see a problem with, with that at all. I mean, I, I have a problem with everything that's gone on in the last six months in terms of guarantees. I mean, we're about to hit like record new lows. I think over the next few weeks, already already we're looking at a dead dead space. Other than ACR. ACR, the guarantees have remained the same. They haven't changed at all, interestingly. Um, stars, stars Party, GG, all, all have gone down significantly since uh, Monday. Monday was the last day of the series of the last <laughs> 11, 17 weeks or whatever the hell, however long it's... 
honestly, it's been never ending. Uh, and I've had a lot of time of just like sitting on the couch when W Coop or something's going on and just feeling like, I can't be bothered with this shit. When does it ever stop? You know, like what, 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 what are my values here? Like I, I do enjoy it, but if it's, if it's on every day, how do I, how do I treat it? Mm. It's different when it's Sunday. You, you clearly draw a line and say, okay, I'm always going to play Sunday. If I don't feel like playing the rest of the week, right now fair enough but then they make every day sunday and now you're like so what days do i take off and how do i value my free time now well um, the, the analogy i like is uh, did, you, did you ever watch wrestling i as a young boy i did watch the wwf wwe stuff and it was like they always had on, on the weekly shows the crappiest matches ever but then obviously then you had Royal Rumble or WrestleMania and it was great because it was the thing that everything was building towards and now it just feels like it's fucking WrestleMania every day and if it's always special it's never special yeah well, did you did you notice how W Cooper's that was the weakest W Cooper of all time mm. no question no question not even not even like not only was there not w, they, they, they took Fridays off Fridays weren't W Coop <laughs> when has that ever been a thing they're like, okay, we're gonna have W Coop, but we're gonna have one day a week off where they're not. It's not. They, they, all the events say W Coop side event. They don't say W Coop. They're not big guarantees. It, it, it shows that they've devalued their own brand already. In this year, like all the companies have devalued their flagship uh, series. Right now, Party are doing a good job by staying extremely low-key with their schedule. It has, it has become quite um, quiet on Party, but it means when Millions kicks back off again, Party's going to be booming. There's going to be a very clear distinction of exciting to not exciting, a mm. midweek grind to the weekend grind, or whatever you want to say. So Party's going to pick, when Millions comes back about, Party's going to ramp up again, and that's the way it should be. It should be dips and trots accordingly people saving their money to play the big series or re you know regs chilling in the in the troughs and playing in the peaks right so we've seen half a year of series and now we've kind of for example how different was stadium series to wq indeed not Darren? really Sorry. not different yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, I mean, it's interesting, actually, when you go on to party at the moment, there's so, there's so few games. Uh, I mean, all of us play, you know, all of the major sites, that's how we get our schedules together. But, but, but party are definitely taking a backseat. The problem is, though, that other sites won't then. I mean, 888 have a series running at the moment, albeit the, world, the, the world's most withered series ever. Literally, all they've done, as far as I can see, is they've added 20% to, to the guarantee of all of their daily games. So the monsoon has gone from 10K to 12K, and, and the 5K games have gone to 6K. And they're calling it a series now. <laughs> it's like, you've just they made your guarantees. All the guarantees into one big... Yeah. That's, that's been happening for the last like two years, I feel like. This slight yeah. deceptions. Like... I actually really like this AA8 series. It's ex it's extremely soft. It's not it's not out of reach guarantees, and it's a site that hasn't really had much going on. Yeah. Now picking up in a time where everyone else is slowing down, I think they've actually played it quite smart in that regard. Even though the site itself is, you know, not 
not up to par, let's say. Mm. I still enjoy playing on there, actually. But I'm actually, I'm still on the old software. And if it ever moves me onto the new software, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done with it. Like seriously, I can't. The new, the new software is like, anyway. Uh, well, Dara, before we kind of wrap up here i am keen to get your notion on overlay if no for no other reason than just i can maybe share the blame for bringing this subject up with my family. yeah you're on your own here david I'm, I'm, I'm going to throw the party line and say that it's i think it's understandable um, i mean we love overlay but we're professional players and yes i mean recreational players like it too but really recreational players are more drawn by big guarantees and big prize pools etc they're they they don't focus as much on stuff like rake and overlay as we do it makes sense from I think Unibet's point of view to take the sort of long-term view and say, look, we're trying to sell our our platform as a safe place to play, where uh, a very friendly place to play, where we do everything. We, you know, we 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 ban all the third-party software. We protect our player pool that way, and it can almost be counterproductive, I guess, to focus too much on the overlay because then you're just saying, well, just come, just come and play because we. We're giving you a little bit of extra money, and you know maybe there, maybe that will attract more uh, more regs onto the onto the platform. But maybe that's not what they want. I mean, Unibet have a similar holistic approach to they don't uh, talk at all about their loyalty or rakeback scheme. They don't want that to be the selling point of the um, of the platform. They want people to come on because uh, because of these other factors. In the short term, maybe maybe they'll change their mind if these overlays continue coming. But it's it's actually very refreshing for a site to just sort of take this view and say, like, okay, well, well, we'll take the overlay. We're taking the long term view. We're trying to build a healthy ecosystem, um, not, not a predatory one, which is based on people diving in when there's overlay or or some other advantageous um, factor. The I mean, again, circling back to the I, I guess the main theme of this is just how much live. Uh, how much life has bled into online over over this pandemic period where now we just seem to have endless series um uh, everything is running somewhere and you know gg had no sooner had they finished the wsfp than they started their own uh their own series even if individual sites sort of take periods off like party are essentially doing at the moment uh, to let their player pool recover there will be other sites running series um i feel like we're just going to have a, a series running somewhere everywhere now until the end of the pandemic I don't know. I think we're gonna. I think we're gonna dip out pretty hard here. There, there might be some small stuff going on, but I think we've got at least four to six weeks of very, very quiet online streets. Um, the, the Sorry, Tom. I'm just. I'm just hearing that bus coming that Dara just threw me under. I think it's just. It's just on the way now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here it comes. <laughs> did, did a two fifty make the guarantee yesterday on uni? The, there was a two fifty. Yes, we did. No, we, we, we hit our guarantee yeah, yeah. yesterday, which was good to see. And I think we'll hit our guarantee on the big one, the Unibet Open, which is coming up in about 10 days. One, time. Yeah, that's what I was going to bring up, the 1K I'm going to play. That's, that's I mean, honestly, that's probably going to be the best 1K ever. <laughs> I mean, for the, for, the foreseeing, for the foreseeable future, it's the best 1K online for sure. Uh, if you haven't got a Unibet account and you're a mid stakes player just just this there's good satellites as well right mm. like I, I always play in the 250 feeder to the 1k i haven't been able to play it every week because i don't want to get overloaded with unibet tickets but uh yeah. like the it's definitely worth looking at 
Yeah, you, you, you mentioned satellites, and I, I, I hesitate to do this, but I'm not obviously going to say any names, but the bubble of the Unibet Open satellite uh, last night on Unibet had the, had the most bizarre hand I think I've ever seen in a satellite. You're going to enjoy this now. Okay, so there are nine people left, and there are eight seats worth 1,100 each. I mean, already and, that sounds incredible. Eight 1K seats yeah. in a Unibet satellite. That sounds yeah. like... And the, the shortest stack has 13 big blinds and I'm second shortest with 17. And then there's another, Classic. there's a, there's a bunch of players between 18 and 25 big blinds. Um, and nobody is actually super locked up. So it's, it's quite, it's, it's, it's quite interesting from a theoretical point of view, but anyway, literally first hand of final table um, under the gun, who's the short stack falls. I'm, I'm next to act and I base 10 suited. Now, I'm supposed to just shove here because everybody behind is supposed to fall kings, but I don't trust anybody to yeah, do that. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, okay, I know I'm supposed to shove, but I'm not going to shove. Um, I'll just raise, and uh, I think it'll get through enough. And you know, sometimes I can I can flop Jane if if somebody defends. So I raise the guy next to me who has 18 big blinds. Uh, he flats. Um, yeah, <laughs> and it gets around to the button. And the button who has 19 big blinds shoves. Now, I don't hate his move because he knows, if he knows who I am, he knows I'm probably folding 100% of the time because if I had aces, I think I probably do just shove there. But so he, so he shoves, I fold, and the other guy literally snaps. And I think, oh, okay, he's obviously been trapping there with aces. The two hands go over. The button has king four suited. The other guy has queen five offsuit. And <laughs> which is snaps. <laughs> This is on an eleven hundred euro bubble. <laughs> was there a cash prize for ninth? <laughs> uh, yeah, we had two hundred locked up. Two, Effectively, it's a nine hundred bubble. Because you know, how many of these guys are in for one euro? Well, the, the, the I mean, the satellite. Um, it's crazy how you see people do that. Yeah, it's true. I, I, I'd actually satellite it into the satellite from a fifty. But the, the satellite I was playing was a, two, a 250. Is that right, Dave? You know the schedule better yes, than I do. Yeah, yeah that yeah. sounds bang on. I'm going to have to cut you off here because I'm very suspicious that Tom, with all his lovely comments about Unibet and plugging Unibet, is after my job right now. The two of you are getting on way too nicely there with your back and forth, and I don't want to be out yeah, of the I think job. Tom, by, uh, you know, I, think Tom, I, I think Tom would make a wonderful ambassador. Uh, he, has, he has such... Uh, he's so widely respected in the game and uh, all... <laughs> Always so reasoned, and not, but but at the same time very honest in his opinions. No, he is absolutely that. And Tom, I have to say, you know, there's a reason you're one of the most prolific people on our show. And I hope every year, as long as we produce any kind of content, you will come back and uh, have a chat with us because it's always such a phenomenal pleasure to spend an hour in your company. Yeah, okay, I'll keep coming back, but I'm not repping no companies. I mean, I'm not trying to. <laughs> I'm trying to. I'm trying to live my life here. I'm not trying to like. <laughs> dodge bullets from all these media you know i'm just trying to do me i don't want to have someone's speak poke it over my shoulder like what what are you doing what, what, what did you just say laughing what did you just say i know tom you you shield the uni bed open a couple more times you might get a the matching other sofa the other little couch love seat beside the brown leather sofa so i don't know maybe you can like throw me a phone case or something <laughs> or like a you know a uk ipt bag like back in the day Right. Tom Jabrakada so Hall. Great yeah, to talk to you, my friend. It was such a See pleasure. Sarah, thank you as always. Thank you. We're out of here. All right. Peace.